0: Gotta buy the brackets and shit too? What the yeah, fuck?
1: Obviously you have to get that well, okay. So first of all the the origami rear fender, right? That just clips onto your uh C post. So that's fine. The front fender, dude, the no, no, you don't need you don't, oh my god. So the front fender, right, clips on to your front to the bottom tube of your bike frame. The rear fender just clips onto your C post. They're not full fenders but they'll do the job, and they're a lot cheaper. And they come in camo. And on that note, you are listening to the Micro Machines podcast. Uh, This week, we will be covering a brief history of the A-22 infantry tank. But first, shall we get some introductions out of the way?
2: Yeah, I'll go first. So you got me, Callum, from New Zealand, as always. And my drink today is a watermelon vodka soda drink uh it's not the best it smells stronger than it tastes you know when you open a drink and it just like fills an entire room yeah it's like that of watermelon but when you taste it it's like meh so eh.
1: you're gonna have to drink a lot of it right
2: i bought a 10 pack and i've still got about seven to go yeah i gotta just grit and bear it i mean they're six percent they're 6%, and I'm 3 down already, so this episode's going to be interesting.
0: Oh, drink up, mate.
1: I remember I had one vodka soda one time. This was last summer. I drank about half of it, and the rest of the afternoon, I was just laying on the couch. I wasn't asleep. I was just kind of paralyzed there. <laughs> <laughs> My lawyer has advised me to remain silent on this matter. I went and met, I met uh, Mr. Hobby. He gave me a tour of his factory. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got me, Dennis, here in lovely Ontario. God currently, damn it, uh, Dennis. I am currently, Garrison, for your information, in the middle of thunder snow. Fuck there you, Dennis, lightning for... outside my window. There is a blizzard going on.
0: Dennis, fuck you for having a thunderstorm snowy fun time and for not going with the official introductions list. Order.
1: Eh, too bad. Uh, eh, too bad. Hey... I'm the one with the Garrison exclusives right now. I'm the winner. Here. God damn it. Uh, and I am drinking what is remaining of my cold black <laughs> coffee.
0: Well, I'm Garrison uh, in Kansas. I was drinking coffee, but I'm thinking about grabbing my bottle of fucking Canadian Club and just downing that after it. the last like 20 minutes. Did I get myself into this situation? Yes. Do I regret it? Kind of. Speak, boy. Ezra. Oh, oh, it's sorry. Gone. Oh,
1: my bad. Uh, I am Ezra. I am in uh, New Mexico, and I am drinking water. Ezra, when was the last episode that you were on with us? Like last week. Uh, oh, uh, not last nowhere. week. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, the week before that.
1: So two weeks ago, it was me valiantly trying to defend Das' work.
2: That's yeah. Right. Right. Callum, what are we talking about this week? Okay, so we are talking about the A-22 infantry tank, or as basically everyone knows it as the Churchill. Why the Churchill? Well, that's because it's a very cool tank and somewhat underrated. You're on the wrong slide. Oh, A lot of people on... don't know about this tank, actually. Yeah. There's a lot of things that people don't know. There's a lot of misconceptions about British armor, and the Churchill is one of them. Uh, main fact of it being bad well um it's con the churchill is very contextual on how good it is i mean you look at some stats and some dimensions of the churchill and you th- sit there and think holy crap this thing's amazing and i think out of every tank chassis it has the most versatile chassis in existence the amount of variations and stuff like that that came from the churchill ch- chassis uh surpass the Sherman, you know, so as a possibly as a single tank, the especially the earlier ones, not so good. The later ones definitely got a lot better. And then as an all-round sort of vehicle and basis for everything, it it was you'll you'll see some of them. It's just incredible what they managed to do with this thing. But as uh as always, you know me, I like a bit of history. You gotta know what happened. Beforehand, to get to where we are with it. So, if we go to the uh first slide, please, Dennis. So, this, well, I'll admit it, downright ugly son of a bitch <coughs> is hey, hey, the A20. That looks
1: good. That looks good. Look at you. You got the Matilda turret. That's beautiful. You've got all this exposed. Oh, God, that's a lot of uh road wheels. Oh, never mind. You're
2: right.
0: It <laughs> looks good. it is.
2: Yeah, so this is the A-20 Heavy Infantry Tank. Uh, so some short stats for you. You got a max of 80 mils of armor, which for the time is pretty damn good. 80 millimeters in the late 30s. That, that's a decent amount of armor. Uh, it was trialed with a turret and hull two-pounder as well as a three-inch howitzer. Didn't go too far. It looks very much like a World War One design, and we're going to get into that very soon. Uh, The turret, as you can see, has the Matilda II turret with the quick-firing two-pounder. So, the A-20 British infantry tank design was a pre-war general staff specification, meant to be a replacement for both the Matilda II and the recent Valentine. Just like the former, it it incorporated typical trench warfare features. It was envisioned as slow, aka infantry pace, Heavily protected with an armament only suitable to deal with fortifications, so you're looking at low velocity, high caliber, high explosive. Uh, it could crush barbed wire in the pro- and it could also crush barbed wire in the process. The tracks had to be long enough to allow a trench for to allow for large trench, trench crossings, including anti tank ditches. The first design had a strong World War One flavour, as you can see, with a two with two. Quick-firing two-pounder ordnance guns placed in side sponsons, as you can see in the arrow. If, Dennis, you could get the laser pointed up. Let me fire up our laser designator. Boom. Please. So, you see see the uh, arrow that I've put there with the was trialed with the turret? Uh, yes. See that right little here. sponson there? Oh, that's cute. Yes, so that's where they're going to put two 20-pounders or so, 40- 40 millimeters. That explains
1: so much about the design of this tank. I never realized that that's what they were going to do.
2: Yeah, that was, well, that was the original idea of what they were going to do. So you had two quick-firing two-pounder ordnance guns placed inside Sponsons, a reminder of the lozenge design of the Great War, but this obsolete design soon incorporated a 60 millimeter steel-protected turret, like the one on the Matilda II. So it's not quite the Matilda II, but it's similar enough. The initial engine was the 300 horsepower flat-12 meadows already used by the Covernator cruiser, cruiser, cruiser tank. Blech. Completely fucked that bit up. The A-20 final design was approved, and a contract order was signed for two prototypes to be assembled by Belfast ship Belfast shipbuilders Har- Harland and Wolf, original makers of the famous Titanic, would you believe? So the people who made the Titanic also made the A20. Uh, both, That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, these two prototypes were delivered in May 1940. Various weapon combinations were tried, in, were tried, ending in a three-inch or 76.2 millimeter howitzer. However, the A20 proved sluggish. It's 43 ton, overwhelming the engine. One prototype was shipped to was shipped to Vauxhall Motors in Luton to try to enhance its performance with a revised lighter design and more powerful engine that devised a strange arrangement called the twin six and fl- uh, which was in fact a flat 12 bedford this was the blueprint for the uh, a22 so you can see crew uh, you can see churchill in it you can see the original design they're going for they just refined it a bit more but um Honestly, if there was a model of this, I would buy it in a heartbeat, because it's just such a weird-looking design.
1: This whole tank yeah, is right the most up your alley. thing I've ever seen. It's what, Dennis? It's the most Calum thing I've ever seen.
2: Oh, yeah. All those lovely rivets and everything. Oh, I'd love to have it.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. So, with more testing, more variations, yeah, it went from the A20... To the A22, also known as the infantry tank Mark IV, A22 Churchill Mark I, as you can see here. Similar designs, but different. Similar, but different. During the Battle of France, the initial design based on trench warfare was proved to be obsolete, and a new one was envisioned by Dr. H. E. Merritt of Winchell Woolwich Arsenal tank design director. This model was then shipped to the Vauxhall factory at the end of June 1940. An initial order was given for two prototypes, delivered by Vauxhall in December 1940, but more refinements, trials, and modifications were needed before production could start, and their first Mark I rolled out of the factory in June 1941. The A-22 tank, Infantry Mark IV, the Mark III was the Valentine, might look like, might look like it was named after the iconic leader of the time, Winston Churchill, but according to Churchill himself, the name honoured the memory of His uh, seventeenth century, is it seventeenth? Yeah, XVII, seventeenth century ancestor, Sir John Churchill, first Duke of Marlborough. It could also have commemorated the instrumental leadership of Sir Winston Churchill, then First Lord of the Admiralty and head of the Landship Committee, the initiator of British tank design, British tank development during the Great War. First series were with three hundred and three built in nineteen forty one. The tracks were entirely unprotected. This series was characterised by, by an early rounder turret with a 2-pounder quick-firing standard gun coupled with a 3-inch or 76.2mm hull howitzer. Plagued by teething problems, they were relegated to training and reconverted to spef- special genie versions later on, as we'll go through later. If we want to just go to the next slide, it shows a bit more. So, in the hull you have a quick-firing 2-pounder or 40 millimeter in a cast turret. Um... You had no return rollers the churchills even right up to the late variants did not have return rollers the tracks slid across uh metal skids you can imagine how loud that would be um actually there was one account that the reason the churchills had to drive so slowly they could drive faster than they did is just the, the sound made by these tracks across the skids deafened the crew to a point of they couldn't function this was the 20th century ajax basically another thing you'll see is they have the three inch howitzer in the hull that fired he and smoke only however the armor thicknesses of the mark one it went from 16 millimeters to 102 millimeters thick in the front the front plate of this was the same thickness as a tiger one the Churchill is actually heavily arm- more heavily armoured than people give it credit for.
1: Take that, Warabos.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, so the so the Mark ones were first used in the Dieppe raid, which we'll go on about later on. But yeah, it's a very, uh, it's an interesting design considering Britain's uh, tank doctrine at the time, which we'll go through in a second. But you can see uh very early war design this. So before you guys read the rest, quick question. What is the difference between a Mark I and a Mark II Churchill? And don't read it first. As you would know
1: this. What's the difference between the Mark I and the Mark II? Oh fuck, my bad. I was uh muted. Uh is the difference the howitzer? Yeah. Callum, he read the slide. He was re- he was reading the slide. I was not reading once. the slide. I was actually on Snapchat.
2: <laughs> Ugh. Hey. Yeah. Hey, uh, get see, off, I'm class.
1: <laughs> I'm texting someone. Okay. <laughs> Jeez.
2: Okay. So the difference between a Mark One and a Mark Two Churchill basically is you replace the howitzer in the hull with a bazooka machine gun. Uh, Basically, so a Mark II differs from Mark I in the fact that the hull-mounted 3-inch howitzer is replaced with a BESA machine gun, owing to the fact that the 3-inch howitzer was in short supply as well as the howitzer being ineffective, especially by British tank doctrine which focused on being hulled down, which rendered the howitzer useless as it would be facing a dirt bund. Um, a close support Mark II with the howitzer and two-pounder swap positions were proposed, but that never went anywhere. So basically, British tank doctrine at the time was to go hull down. Hence, why their turrets are super thick. Um, they have great gun depression. They were meant to hide behind something and shoot. The howitzer mm. was incredibly difficult to aim when they did, when they could use it, but most of the time they couldn't use it because it wasn't sitting over a depression or a bund or a hill or anything like that. It just was ineffective and useless, really. Hence, why they got they rid of it. Pretty calm. Yeah, yeah. Sh- and this
1: pertains to the Mark II. So the Mark II basically, it, it goes from basically being, you know, this tank that has an anti-take capability and some degree of anti-infantry you know infantry capability or you know, infantry support capability, and that goes to just having the two-pounder. For the Mark II, were there any plans to somehow upgun the turret so that
2: it would be able to at least support infantry better? Well, to answer that, go to the next slide. I didn't even plan that segue. Good job, Dennis. (laughs) Well, to answer your question, you are now talking about the Mark III. The Mark III was the first major set of modifications. For the first time, the turret was welded and housed a six-pounder gun, also known as the 57mm, with a coaxial Beza machine gun, another replacing the former hull and another replacing the former hull howitzer. Many changes to the engine, transmission, and protection were made, including the catwalk above, above the upper tracks. Six hundred and seventy-five were delivered in nineteen forty-two. So this is the upgraded Mark One. You have the Mark Three. You have this nice welded turret. You have a higher, higher power, higher velocity um, six-pounder. Uh, we all know the British six-pounder for its time was a great gun. It was really good. You had a bigger turret, roomier, more protection. It was a uh, I think this went f- I think the front the armor on the I think the main change was the armor on the uh turret was uh, increased because of the weldness. Um, <clears throat> a fun fact about British welding. You, you know how the Soviet welding was shit. Right? Mm, yes. They they welded at a too high a temperature and their welds became brittle. The British when it came to welding were very very good at it to the point where tests were done on the well, on the welds on the turrets. I think it was on the Mark III, but also later turrets. When they were uh, tested in the uh, the um, firing ranges, it was shown that the welds were stronger than the actual armor plates that they were welded to. The actual welds, the the uh, seam lines were stronger than the armor plates. Um, yeah, just an interesting fact that I thought was very cool. Ezra, you should take note. Is he on his phone again?
1: So now we have the Mark IV Churchill.
2: Yes, so after the Mark III, we go on to the Mark IV, which was, again, another upgrade. So this was the biggest production of all the series with uh, 1,622 tanks. It was given the cheaper and less labor-intensive cast turret, as you can see. Uh, you can see the difference uh, in the turrets. The early production models had a counterweight to balance their six-pounder gun, and many were retrofitted with the new long-barrel six-pounder Mark V gun. So this was the most numerous uh, version of the Churchill to turn up. Not the best, but they made the most, mainly because, as you'll notice, the main difference between all these variants so far is just the turret and gun. But you know that was the only thing lacking at the time, so you just keep upgrading it and upgrading it, and you get something out of it.
1: This this looks strangely like a Mark II, which they just <clears throat> shoehorned a six pounder into.
2: Yeah, well, eh, yeah, yeah.
1: hey, if it works.
2: Yep. Now, if you go to the next slide, you'll come across something interesting. Yes. So, I love it, Garrison. You'll probably be interested in this. This is the Churchill NA75, which is a modified Mark IV. Around 200 Churchill Mark IVs were upgraded prior to Operation White Hot, with 75mm guns and mantlets of discarded or destroyed Shermans in March and June of 1944. The conversion was realized on 48 Mark IVs in North North Africa, hence the NA for North Africa 75, by Captain Percy Morrell, later rewarded for this uh, innovation. The front turret section had to be cut off and the gun introduced, then mantlet, slot, and whole package was welded over. However, it was a left-handed loading system. The usual British system called for a right-handed loading system, so the gun had to be turned upside down and all the controls adapted. The turret also had to be counterbalanced as the gun was heavier. So this is basically a Churchill with the gun and mantlet from a Sherman. Uh, This was a, you know, at the time, I think especially at the time, And this time in North Africa is when the Shermans were turning up en masse. And the British didn't have um, supplies to repair and replace damaged guns. So they started using Shermans. Because at the same time, uh, same as the sexton vest as the priest, the sexton used the British um, 25-pounder. The Americans brought over all their priests with the 105-millimeter howitzers. So it made more sense to use the American stuff because there were more of them. Uh, this is the same case. You use the American gun, you can use the American rounds in it. I think it also makes it look pretty cool with the uh, Sherman mantlet and gun. I don't know why, I just I like the look of it. You know?
1: It just looks like it's meant to be.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a pretty smart idea, to be honest. I mean, the Sherman 75 was pretty good for the time. And to make it compatible so you could just share ammo between armored units... It's not a bad idea. So after the uh, Mark IV, we have the Mark V. The Mark V is purely a Mark IV for close support. This uh, is the it, best,
1: Churchill. It's perfect.
2: It was, a modify, it was modified with a 95mm or 3.78, uh, 7, four inch howitzer, and it could carry 47 rounds. 241 were built in, all in 1943. So this 95mm uh, could carry smoke, High explosive and heat rounds. So this could fire a 95 millimeter heat round. Hmm.
0: About to about to fuck some German armor up, Ezra.
1: <laughs> we got him. Record that. Write that down. Right. Hey, down. we got his ass, boys.
2: <laughs> I mean, as long as it's Panzer fours, I'm fine. we <laughs> yeah. Stug threes.
1: Oh no,
2: the Stug three is the pinnacle of.
1: Anyways, moving on. Anyway, Wait, moving on. Tank destroying. <laughs> Moving on, talking <laughs> about good taste. Here.
2: Anyway, so um, yeah, it's oh, a built like that.
1: Shut up. Shut up Shut up. So we drama. have
2: a Churchill Mark Six. I think the Mark Six is actually kind of rare. Um, only two hundred were built. So this is a minor upgrade of the Mark Four with the brand new six pounder Mark V. Um, two hundred were built, but production was quickly swapped for the new Mark Sevens. Uh, for the new Mark the Churchill Mark Sevens, the the factory lines were then busy upgrading threes and four versions to the new standard. So um basically it's was an upgrade of a four, but it got superseded pretty quickly. I mean the best that it could do, uh, all it did was upgrade the gun even more. It still had the it still had a cast turret, but um yeah, it's this is actually one of the rarer versions. I think there's one left, and that's at Bovington. Yeah. What were you circling there, Dennis?
1: Oh, don't worry about it. Anyways, moving on.
2: (laughs) This is a weird episode.
1: And this is why you watch the podcast. You don't just listen to it. You watch it to see what the laser pointer is doing.
2: Yeah. So we come to my personal favorite mark. This is the Churchill Mark 7, also known as the A22F. So a major, major modification, which was also called the Heavy Churchill was Two ton heavier, better protected than ever. With get this, uh, actually, we'll go. We'll ask, uh, Garrison, how how thick was the front plate on this? How many millimeters or inches? Okay, the Mark VII had a total of 152 millimeters of frontal armor.
1: Good lord, that's yeah, 15 like, centimeters. That's huge. Yeah.
2: That's yeah, a lot. Like, you know, the Churchill was one hell of a heavily armored beast. You know, more heavily armored than people give credit for it. This thing's got um, a tiger and a half worth of frontal plate.
1: Is that how we're going to start measuring frontal plate? Like, this is just in terms of how many tiger tigers it is. Yes. <laughs> it's I mean, 1.5 tigers today. Usually people tell me 15, 15 centimeters is pretty small, but in this well, case... Oh no, that's pretty massive. <laughs> I mean, really, 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 hear me up. Why would you need more than 15 centimeters of armor? I mean, really? Yeah.
2: I mean, you can, really. you can you can, actually see the thickness. You see, uh, the Churchill <laughs> didn't have the same sort of hatches um, as, say, a Sherman, where you open up top and stick your head out. This had like a face plate that opened out sideways. But you can see just how up. thick the armor is on that.
1: So so here's a question, Callum, about the turret. And you may, not, may or may not know it. I don't know if it came up in the research. Yeah. So with the Mark 7's turret, are yep. they just basically taking like the earlier Mark 6 uh turret which is more rounded, right? And are they just literally just casting more metal onto it or is this a completely new
2: design? Uh this is a new design. So this is a casting. This is cast but welded. This is te- technically this is a welded turret turret.
1: Did they weld the, like the top plate onto a cast like Yes. Yeah, uh, alright, fair enough.
2: Yeah, so te- technically it is welded, but the uh, the frontal plate, or uh, like the the front face of the turret, had a lot of armor on it. Uh, this version was reclassified as Ordnance A forty two in nineteen forty five. Um, production was around fourteen hundred, built until late nineteen forty four. So this is like the definitive Churchill. Uh, this is yeah, the the heavy one, the best one, the one I love the most. It's got a quick firing seventy five millimeter, so it's a pretty decent gun. Probably could have been better. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. But overall, I think it's also the best looking Churchill. It's a great looking tank. If I'm not mistaken, that was the uh, the one. To be yes, made and at. that's the one I made. And honestly, if you want a very good kit, the Churchill Mark VII Tamiya kit is amazing. Best tooled kit I've made. So good. So now just a quick look you have the churchill mark 8 literally it's just a mark 7 but with a 90 with the 95 millimeter howitzer and 47 rounds so it's just a close fire support of the mark 7 i do like the picture i managed to find in the black and white though because yeah
1: is that from panzer sarah
2: no idea but only 200 of these made looks like his kind of yeah yeah i
1: i do be I, I love panzer sarah what a cool guy he
2: is. <laughs> but yeah mark eight is just a mark seven close support that's all it is now Ugh. there was a there was a section there you have the churchill mark 9 10 and 11. uh these are upgrades so the following marks were not production vehicles but completely overhauled and upgraded earlier models so production figures are irrelevant Many were also modified as more radical variants and sub-variants, including two successful sets of modifications. So you have the Churchill Mark 9, which is a Mark 3 or 4, refitted with the new Mark 7 turret, transmission and suspension. Only Some only received the later, later improvements and kept their old turret. These were known as Mark 9 LT for light turret, no arm, upgrades to armor. The Churchill Mark 10 is a Mark 4 upgraded with the to the mark 7 standard and the churchill mark 11 is just a mark 5 upgraded to the mark 7 standard also receiving extra armor so they're just when you get the old ones and modify them the hell up to you know 1944 1945 standards that's all they are
0: so this is basically the british version of like the russian t72 and 60 fucking two and all that and shit, also, so and
2: also because they upgraded, and also like the uh um, you know, Sherman's, you had the M4, A1, A2, A3, A4, and then you had the A2, E3, and shit like that. It's basically the same concept, you know. Now, right, right. as I was saying before, the Churchill was a very good basis for a lot of other vehicles. Had specialized funnies and stuff like that. Uh, their chassis proved pretty good. So, the first we're going to start with, the earliest one. The Churchill Oak, or Oakey, or however the fuck you say that. Don't care. But, so, in mid-1942, prior to the upcoming raid on Dieppe, Major J.M. Oak devised a flamethrowing modification applied to three prototype vehicles named Or Beetle, and Bull. A pipe apparatus with the tank fitted at the rear was linked to the front hull, to the front hull Ronson flame projector, leaving the right-hand machine gun unobstructed the three these the three vehicles were part of the first wave of dieppe so this is just a mark one with a flame projectile mounted in the hull that was uh, made spe- specifically for the Dieppe raid um, if you wanted to make one all you needed to do was uh, get a mark 1 Churchill and then just you can literally just scratch built that little flame projector and you've got yourself a Churchill Okey. Um, Or oak or whatever you call it. Don't care. Don't come at me about it.
1: It's a Churchill okay.
2: (laughs) But yeah, so this is the first flamethrowing Churchill, but it's certainly not the last. The a flamenwaffe. Yeah. If we go to the next one, we have the Churchill. Oh Oh my god, what? The real fury. The Avery. I love the Avery. How
1: the fuck? Is it... Garrison, don't ask it's, questions. It's so Just girthy. It.
0: Just no, it. I'm... No, that that is that is that is like against <laughs> what? what is? is. L- what is that on the back? You what mean, what
2: mean the front? It's on the back. It's on the front. Oh God! You're,
0: wait, why is wait, it on the
1: front? You know what? I, I've got this one. You know what a fascine is? Hmm. What is a fascine, Garrison?
2: You should know this. You're in the Marine. I don't, I, bro. No. You,
1: oh God. Okay. So, quick history lesson. So the idea of a fascine. Is that
0: what they'd roll over, putting trenches and Correct. cross over it? But they made the church so long to cross trenches,
1: anyways. But yeah. well, other tanks aren't.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Fuck those tanks. Hey, Gerson, you know the best bit? Driver uh. can't see shit when it's got the fascine up. So do you know how he drives the the, the driver? No yeah. one can see the shit. Commander, the commander sits on the fascine. Yeah, like yeah, a, it's a on top of it, And those those fascines <laughs> oh, are something like nine foot high. Yeah. It's like it's like two of those on top of each other. That's yeah. ridiculous. So the Churchill Avery, the most common modification of all Genie versions, dev- designed after the painful raid of Dieppe. This was the typical armoured vehicle of the Royal Engineers, equipped with the Petard 200 and not- 290 two ninety millimetre spigot mortar, which fired an eighteen kilogram or forty pound warhead, and had a practical range of one hundred thirty seven metres or one hundred fifty yards. I have seen this fire. It fires really slow but you just see this big barrel go flying in the air and then there's just a <sighs> giant explosion this thing oh. was oh, amazing it's amazing to watch fire
1: homeboys just throwing a garbage can at that. I want
2: yeah i'm
1: about to say i want to see that thing fucking I'll, in action i'll send you a
2: link for it um, so its purpose was to clear concrete bunkers and all kind of enemy fortification and obstacles reloading was performed by the co-driver staying in his hatch and the turret facing him it was a basis of which could serve many purposes like the mine flail version explosive carrier for carrier and bridge layer uh, so just a quick note on the fascine. so a world war one solution still favored was to carry a very large bundle of wooden poles or brushwood at the front of the vehicle released into trenches and dis- ditches in order to make a step allowing other tanks to cross it however uh dennis you might find this interesting when released in a fast, a fast flowing riverbed Metallic hollow tubes were wrapped inside the scene to allow water to flow through and avoid have avoid having the whole device flushed away by the stream.
1: I, I saw I've seen actually quite a few of those. So when you're making a model of it, yeah, that's a neat thing. If you you know the uh, plastic tube? Yeah. That yep. uh
2: was it like uh it. green scene or something? Does? Ah uh, what's
1: it? I should know this. I, I work at a store that sells it. Uh come on, Dennis, use that big Green Stuff numbers. World. No, not green stuff world. It's uh evergreen evergreen Evergreen. Ah. yes evergreen plastic rod just take a dremel literally cut that stuff you have a fascine
2: yeah
0: pro tip or you could just get a bunch of like small twigs from the yard like a bunch of them kind of like night shift did for his uh is2 bridge that
1: got collapsed and do that yeah do a mix of them i just want to think of the, the weathering up like the possibility of weathering those plastic tubes that'd be pretty cool that's true
2: Hang on a minute, just I think I've just found the uh, where is it? There it is. I'll just post in podcast planning, Garrison. If you have a look and go to around 25 seconds in, you'll see the uh, how the uh, petard spigot mortar is fired. What it looks like it said 25 seconds. Oh god.
0: Oh my god.
2: Fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's just a giant demolition charge, you know? That's fires into something.
0: That is fucking sweet. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: evil
2: cackle. Oh, dear.
1: It's oh, just Garrison losing his
2: mind. Dennis, this all.
0: Fucking Dennis. So,
2: this weird thing we have on the slide is the Churchill bobbin carrier. Uh, basically, learning from the Dieppe raid and other raids, uh, what's one thing that could stop el- uh, tanks getting up a beach? The beach. Yeah. Thanks, Dubs. Uh, Sand and wet mud. The bobbin carrier was a temporary solution, basically. So this version was used during landings on sandy beaches and soft grounds, like extreme mud. Uh, A 10-foot large canvas bobbin was carried in front of the leading Churchill, and it was released to create a rolling path for the following vehicles. The way that this worked was basically they dropped the end of the bobbin, and the tracks of the Churchill caught it, and that's how it rolled out. It literally just ran across the bobbin as it ran, as it spooled under it, under it. This created a temporary road. It wasn't the best. Like it was, when I say temporary, it was temporary. If they ran too many vehicles, you, you ended up still getting the uh, wheels, wheel ruts and they ended up uh, basically beaching themselves. But as a temporary solution to get things just up and off and out fast, this was a very, very useful device.
1: Actually, you can see sort of the same principle in a lot of beaches in North America, what you see now for wheelchair users, they have these blue mats and they do the exact same thing. They roll them out on the beach. And if you walk on those versus the sand, you can see the exact same principle that these bobbins worked on.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty ingenious design, to be honest. It's it's pretty good.
1: It's simple, but it works.
2: Yeah. That's all you need. Up next, we have the Churchill small box girder. This was an assault bridge carrier. The bridge itself was relatively small, at 30 foot or 9 meters, but could be deployed quickly to allow troops and light vehicles to span large gaps or climb impassable objects. It looks unbalanced as hell, but it was literally, you couldn't ask for a faster temporary bridge layer. Literally just line it up, drop it, you're good to go, you know? Also make a very right good on. model this one uh next up this is the Ooh, churchill bull's horn plow so this was a mine sweeper ver- churchill equipped with a large mine plow tailored to excavate and expose landmines a mine flail version the toad was also built after the war in 1950 this is a pretty rare type uh, not many were actually used it's a cool licking system so and i do think you can buy a resin conversion kit of the bull's horn so if you wanted to make that there is a resin resin conversion this one, oh my God. the Churchill Double Onion. I was telling nice. I was what the I was fuck? telling Dennis about this earlier. The double onion oh okay, this is the strangest sentence I've ever had to utter on this podcast so far. The double onion was the successor of the single carrot explosive device. <laughs> the (laughs) The fucking british and naming shit i
1: swear to god this is the equivalent of like in those swat team movies the guy who just goes up to the door and puts a c4 charge on
2: yeah so it consisted of two large explosive charges placed on a metal frame that was laid on a concrete wall and exploded from a safe distance another variant was the church goat but this is just this is just a Churchill breaching charge, basically. <laughs> yeah. Goat. Double oh Onion god. was a successor of the single carrot explosive device. What the fuck? It's <laughs> the most
1: British sentence I've ever heard. Oh my god.
2: I love it.
0: Oi, lads, what should we name it? The fucking double onion, <laughs> eh? Oh god. Fucking Christian, you got a lot to yeah. ask for,
2: bud. Yeah. Well he's Australian, so you know. Is he really? Yeah. What?
0: No, the he was dude's Iranian. British, no way. <laughs> Where is that?
1: Homeboy grew up in Bahrain. Anyways, before I dox Christian two more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: You like that? What have we said about Sanding?
0: I was hoping you would hear this. Are you
1: threatening to hijack the podcast with Sanding? Again? (laughs) Oh, God. I will leak the Garrison
2: exclusives. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 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 I repent for for my my sins. sins i repent for my sins Uh, okay so up next we have the churchill arv or armored recovery recovery vehicle this was a salvage conversion based on a turretless mark one the front jib had a 7.5 ton capacity and had a counterweight in the rear the rear jib had a 15 ton traction whilst the winch could pull 25 tons damn that's not bad The small tailored turret had a dummy gun, a single baser machine gun served for close quarters defense, and there was enough room inside to carry the damaged tank's crew. This looks kind of neat. This is a cool version. Yeah. How much could it pull? Uh, The winch could pull 25 ton. Oh, that's enough for like two of your mom's. (laughs) Or one of yours.
0: Oh. <laughs> you're not wrong. Like <laughs> oh. I, I can't hate on you because you're not wrong.
2: Oh, okay, <laughs> we go to the next. This is the most. This is one of the more interesting versions. This is the Churchill Ark. A R K for Armored Ramp Carrier. I don't know how carrier has a K in it, but okay, whatever. The the fucking spiritless vehicle carried a folding bridge when unfolded it spans 65 foot or 20 meters the submarks the sub one and two had trackways either on the tracks or directly on the vehicle itself in 1942 10 Churchill uh, great Easterns were de- uh, delivered these were conceived by officer officer engineer inventor Cecil Van de Peer Clark the folded bridge spanned 60 foot and was deployed in seconds using rockets it never saw action. so this arc, as you can see, it's pretty simple, but Garrison Sorry.
1: <laughs> I will actually walk down to Wichita and get you. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But
2: so the arc, as you can see, it's just literally just a rolling bridge. Uh, it could it helped with climbing seawalls. Um, and funnily enough, the suspension on the church was good enough. As you can see on the second photo on the right, It's got a Churchill on top of a Churchill. The lower Churchill could drive with the Churchill on top of it. The suspension is pretty damn good on a Churchill. So
0: how much wood could a Churchill chuck if a Churchill
2: could chuck Churchill wood? One of your mums.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um,
2: There is a bit of debate over why they called it the Ark. Some say... Uh, some people claim it's after the HMS Ark Royal being a, car- a being an aircraft carrier, also known as flat tops, which is what the uh, Churchill Ark looks like. Uh, some say there's uh you know some say it is armored ramp carrier. Uh, some say it's not. The hasn't been decided. Don't know what it is. Yeah. So this is the crocodile, <clears throat> the most famous version of the Churchill. Around eight hundred of these were built. It was the main Allied flamethrower tank in Europe, generally a Mark 7 with a flamethrower replacing the hull baser machine gun. The fuel tank carried a trailer. was carried by a trailer Had a, and it had a range of 150 yards firing in one second bursts. Now, the mere sight of one of these turning up to the Germans usually meant that <clears throat> half the time they didn't even use the flamethrower because um, the Germans not you know, being of sound mind, did not want to be cooked alive, a lot of the times they surrendered just by seeing one of these roll up. Because, of course, this is a Mark VII with the 152mm of frontal armor, a quick-firing 75 on top, and a flamethrower. You couldn't get any better than that. They saw that. They saw the flame coming out. They just surrendered immediately. However, the crews of the crews of the crocodiles were also cognizant of the fact that they were also hated so much. Most of the time, if they got overrun and captured, the Germans just executed them on sight because of their hatred of the crocodile. Damn. So
0: I kind of don't blame it's a kind of
2: with... give and take, you know. It's a high risk, high reward sort of deal here, you know. If we go to the next one, this is the Churchill kangaroo. Not a lot to be found about the kangaroo. They were used. Not a lot of photos, though. This is the only one I could find. So it's a turretless variant um, used as an armored personnel carrier. These were the rumia and best protected versions of the kangaroo so of course you had kangaroos coming from sextant priests shermans m3 lees i mean out of all the kangaroos you want to be in this one's got the most armored protection so you'd want to be in that one plus the climbing capability was amazing but enough about that shall we go on to the uh sexiest of them all oh oh, oh, yes The Churchill 3-inch Gun Carrier. So, this was probably the only attempt to build a tank hunter based on the Churchill. It was modified to house an anti-aircraft 3.5-inch or 88mm Mark I gun in a ball mount inside a thickly armoured superstructure. 50 were built in 1942, but their fate remains uncertain. Large-scale conversions were dropped due to the adoption of the 17-pounder. There is only one left, and it is in Bovington, and it is in a shocking state. Of rust. I want to see
0: this thing in a model. Uh, There are models
2: of it. Uh, Bronco. No. Bronco or someone else. I think Dragon maybe makes one of these. Um, Yeah.
0: That actually surprised me. Dragon doing it. It's like the inbred cousin.
2: So if we go to the last main variant. Oh, God. The A-43 infantry tank known as Black Prince.
1: Dennis? Gentlemen. gentlemen. Pencil barrel. We have the Tamiya Churchill hull. And now we have the comet.
2: Oh, hell yeah. I say
1: the time has come.
2: they got to make a Black Prince. Although the hull on a Black Prince is vastly different to a Churchill hull. Damn even it. though it's the same base. Damn it. My notes on it, in 1943 the Churchill was the most heavily armored tank in British service, and it was seen as an adequate response to the ti- the German Tiger and Panther, if rearmed with a more potent weapon, the 17 pounder. It was designed on the basis of the Mark 7 at Vauxhall Motors and adopted in 1944 the turret developed for the Comet, but with 10 tons more in the same original engine, its performances were mediocre at best. By early 1945, only six prototypes had been built. And at the same time, scores of Sherman Fireflies were already available and battle proven. The last versions of the Cromwell and Cavalier were in service, as well as the Challenger and the brand new Comet. There was already a perfect match for the original 1943 specification of a Universal tank and the development then, the promising and heavily protected Centurion. Consequently, the Black Prince project was seen as redundant and abandoned after only six prototypes. One of the main differences between the Black Prince and a Churchill Dennis you can't take the the hull off a Churchill. It's not wide enough. Uh, you can see if you go if you look at say the front hull of the Mark VII. If you go back to that slide real quick, that one. Yep. So you see just how close the driver's oh, hatches yeah. to the side.
1: That is considerably narrower.
2: And then if you look at the Black Prince. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it is has a been considerably larger hull. Yes, because it's got to accommodate the larger turret, the larger gun. I mean, the Black Prince. Could have actually done... Could have been a good tank if they'd actually changed the motor into something that was decent. The British had this thing of putting underpowered motors inside tanks. I don't know why they could have easily simplified it, rectified it, whatever, but they didn't. The Black Prince... It's possibly the biggest underdevelopment, underrated whatever in the world. It could have been something really good if they didn't only put a decent bloody engine in it. I mean, it's a great looking tank. It's got the 17-pounder, which was the same as the Challenger, the Comet, everything like that. You know, it's got the, the turret of a Comet. This could have been a very good tank during the Korean War. Only six were made. There's only one left, and that's at Bovington. And I got the pleasure of seeing it up close. I got to touch it. It was nice. Um... Yeah, the Black Prince. If I could go back in time, I'd shake the person who designed it going, put a better bloody engine in it, you know? Not that I'm salty about it or anything, but, you know. This is more fearsome to me than the Tiger. I would love to have a model of the Black Prince. I, I don't even know if there's a company that makes a model of the Black Prince. I mean, hell, you could do some resin configuration. No. Some kit bashing. No, because you have to widen the hull. The, and also, the you can see the, the side profile of the hull is quite different to the churchill like you, it slopes instead of going straight across you can see the front it starts to slope down there, there's a lot of differences in the suspension um it, it looks churchill-esque but it's not churchill it's the same as say the p51 mustang and the f82 twin mustang look similar no shared components
0: yeah it kind of looks like uh honestly it looks like a a Churchill on a comet had yeah. a baby. Yeah, I mean,
2: it, it looks like Churchill, but wider and sleeker. Yeah. I thought I'd talk a little bit about the history, because the history of the uh, Churchill is kinda quite interesting, actually. I'm Because it almost didn't happen. Churchill almost never existed. To start with, their disastrous Dieppe raid, which, um, you know, would probably make Dennis cry every time he hears, it, hears about it. So, the first time Mark Ones were used was during the unsuccessful raid on the port of Dieppe. The Churchills arrived late with only 29 landing on the beach, two of which sank, and 12 became became bogged down in the soft soft sand, hence we got the bobbin. Only 15 tanks made it to the seawall where they encountered tank traps and had to retreat back to the beach to provide supporting fire for the retreating infantry. The effect of the raid nearly had the entire Churchill tank concept abandoned. None of the Mark 1s came back from the raid, and after all remaining Mark 1s were relegated to training units or reconverted into specialized units. So this raid almost killed off Churchill entirely. Yeah, damn. Like, that's how bad it was. But, at the same time, they didn't really know, like, how to use Churchill's, what they were going to be used for, or anything like that. Plus, I mean, it's a pretty bad way to try and judge it on a raid, on something like a raid that was purely to test the defenses. Those poor Canadians, though. Jesus.
1: I, this is, uh, any Canadian with any knowledge of history, this is burned into our memory. Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the British still haven't said sorry about that.
1: No, this is kind of like, I, I'm going to say this is kind of like Canada's Pearl Harbor, but that's not really fair to say because it wasn't really a
2: surprise. Yeah. I mean, this is more like, it was a raid to test the defenses. So they pretty much knew, like, they were going on a one-way trip. I mean, you know if it's unsuccessful, you're not coming back on that something like that you know yeah
0: what was that uh that island where the japanese got onto in, in alaska Galussians. and then the americans and canadians yeah. yeah we had a firefight sorry you, boys. Had a fire,
2: you had a firefight and you guys shot at each other there sorry. were no japanese on the island at the time that they invaded well they were there they're just on the other side leaving uh no there was there was a point at the time where there was no japanese at all they went there <laughs>
1: Rip. Yeah, why am I laughing? We're the ones who lost that battle.
2: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> yeah, you got fucked by our. I, 50s. Will, I will say yeah. though that the picture on the left with the uh, Mark One disembarking the TLC, I would love to do a diorama on
1: that. That would be very cool. That is so cool. And I will say, Dragon Dragon makes the uh, Churchill
2: kits, but they're only in seventy second. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I mean, no. Airfix does all their stuff in 76, doesn't they? Oof. Okay. Anyway, if we go on, North Africa. The most pressing problem, even more apparent when the Mark 1 and 2 arrived in North Africa, was the unrebi- unreliability of its Meadows engine. Plus, it had been conceived for a mild climate and suffered heavily from the blistering sun of Liberia. Who would have thought designing a tank in a climate like England and then sending it to North Africa, they would have overheating problems? It's almost like they've done mm. this before. Oh, it's almost like no one thought about that, but you know. Ventilation was all-time poor and access limited preventing efficient monitoring and maintenance despite being fitted with a 75 mm howitzer aiming the tank proved more difficult than expected and by early 1942 the, introduced, the Germans introduced up armored versions of their main battle tank the Panzer 3 fitted with a 50 mm gun the 2p the 2 pounder which at the time of early war was very good but now you're getting into 42 43 it is not so good uh shared with nearly all other British tanks of the time were found lacking their presence was not felt before the Second Battle of Al, Al- Alamein, when the first upgun and upgraded Mark 3s were first committed into action. The King's Force, com- comprising of six Mark 3s, decisively for- supported the 7th Motor Brigade, destroying many German anti-tank gun positions. None were damaged, and one was found with no less than 80 non-penetration impacts. That's how armoured the Churchill was. 80 non-penetrating impacts. You're probably looking at anything from 37 to 50 mil to short barrel 75s shooting at that. The English version of the KV-1. Pretty much. So this success made the war office send more, creating three armoured regiments and a full brigade that arrived in February 1943. All older versions were withdrawn and shipped back to Great Britain for an overhaul. So if we go on to uh, after North Africa, we have... Italy. With its reputation firmly re-established, the Churchill was massively involved in the whole Italian campaign. The main reason was terrain, favouring infantry, which in turn needed a sturdy support tank, able to deal with the difficult terrain, and the Churchill was the first first in line for this task. The specialised versions of the armoured engineers were vital to the entire 8th Army, and many other allied forces operating in Italy. The experience gained here also paved way for better versions, which were massively engaged in Normandy. Most of the modified NA-75s saw action there. Their range and efficiency were better than those of a standard Sherman, due to the fact that the Churchill was a sturdier and more stable platform. Take that, Americans. So, real
0: quick, which... which, uh which uh Churchill was used in Italy.
2: Italy were threes, fours, and NA seventy fives.
0: Damn it, so we couldn't use a seven, huh? That's just a Normandy in late war. Uh late war, yes.
2: Okay, what about market garden?
0: Uh after,
2: no, like it was like twelve days after. Yeah, I'm not sure if they used Churchill's Market Garden Market Garden uh, or used them extensively. I don't know
1: if Thirty Corps had many Churchills.
2: No, they were mainly um Shermans and Fireflies, weren't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Damn it. I think I got these out of order a bit, but who cares? So, Tunisia. When the Churchill began to arrive en masse in North Africa, the Second Battle of El Alamein had been won and German forces were on the run west in Tunisia. At the same time, the US and British forces landed in French Algeria and Morocco as part of Operation Torch, creating a giant pincer movement for the retreating Africa Corps and what remained of the Italian divisions. Meanwhile, Marshal uh, Kesselring kesselring whatever was sent in tunisia with massive reinforcements including the, the german brand new beast the tiger the churchill three and fours equipped with the six pounder guns were no match for it but proved but proved in many actions their tremendous protection and superior crossing abilities tunisia has a man, mountainous rain, terrain and over it the churchill uh, the churchill motor most motricity was second to none. It could climb up slopes that were deemed impassable for a tank and was able to provide infantry support wheels needed, often in areas unexpected to the enemy. On one occasion, a Churchill scored a lucky hit on the turret ring of a Tiger tank, jamming the turret. The crew hastily deserted it, leaving the Tiger as a prize. Guess which Tiger that was. One, three,
0: one. Yes. Woo-woo! I didn't
2: know it was knocked out by a Churchill. Yep. A No Mark- way! Mark three sent a... 57 millimeter round into the turret ring jammed it they couldn't use it so they deserted it so the tiger actually tiger 131 was invaluable to british intelligence and now stands at bovington museum in their tiger room it's actually uh, yeah it was pretty cool so one advantage of churchill's that they found is they could climb up steep mountains that no one else could do at all And I believe there was one battle. The Americans were using the road to get up to a slope that was heavily defended by Germans. They had all their anti-tank guns pointed that way. They weren't getting anywhere. The uh, Churchill Regiment decided to climb the hill, which they can do as long as you keep it straight and keep going forward. Uh, One downside to this movement was if you had any sort of sideways movement, the Churchill would start doing what's called crabbing it would start sliding and moving to the side i think in the raid there was about three that crabbed too much and then started rolling and rolled all the way back down to the ground which um you know no one survived uh, it's kind of a horrendous prospect to be you know uh, washing machined inside your own tank uh, however they managed to climb up the slope and get to the top to see a whole bunch of surprised germans going what the fuck are they doing right there none of their anti-tank guns were turned that way because they never expected a tank to actually be able to climb this mountain. So um, that was one thing that the Churchills were very good. They just climbed up anywhere they wanted to go. They were, like that, their design, yes, World War One and design originally, but, you know, when it came to those World War One aspects of climbing trenches, all of that, the Churchill was just bloody good at it. So you, you can't discount it. Churchill is a good tank. Oh, absolutely. If we go to uh, the next slide, uh, Western Europe. I love those. Uh, I think those are Mark six and sevens there all with their uh, tracks covering his armor that looks so cool so oh i needed a drink there although the allies massively employed shermans the churchill was always a welcome sight many specialized versions took part in the landings on the normandy normandy beaches with mine flail and bull's horn plow versions bobbin version even salvage models the churchill with its large tracks and many small bogies, provide proved invaluable in the sandy terrain Their heavy mortars of most of the average dealt with any fortifications of the Atlantic Wall, which had been missed by the planes. The excellent, the excellent, menu, um, oh, what's this word again? Motricity of the Churchill was proven once more during the, during Operation Bluecoat, while capturing a key position, Hill 309. They saw heavy fighting in the Low Countries. On the Rhine border, equally fortified, the Churchill again proved high highly efficient, especially with the arrival of the Mark VII, impervious to most German AT guns, or when combining a heavy mortar and flamethrower versions, the crocodile became infamous, infamous, infamous inf- fuck, infamously known for its macabre efficiency. Also, much so that in some cases, the simple view of one of these rolling towards a blockhouse triggered a prompt surrender. The crocodile's crews knew too well that in case of capture, they would expect no mercy from the enemy. They got shot. Churchill's of all versions were massively engaged during Operation veritable which was the invasion of the reichland if we go to the next slide please a whole bunch of churchills were sent to russia as part of the Ooh. russian lend-lease program so the Churchill was also delivered to the ussr via lend-lease a total of 301 mark three and fours were shipped to mamansk uh, 43 were lost on route their most memorable action occurred in kursk when the fifth guards tank brigade successfully counterattacked at Pro- Prokhorovka. the russians appreciated the good mobility and large tracks of the vehicle and excellent protection comparable to the KV-1. So the Churchill is just, you know, the British KV-1. It's a great tank. The next slide will be a bit of a surprise to people. What? Churchill's were sent to the Pacific. You're
1: kidding! No, no way. Which yes. ones?
2: Which one? So, less well known, a few Churchills were also sent to the Australian forces operating in New Guinea at the end of the war. By mid 1944, it was tested alongside the Sherman, with the Matilda II already in service as a reference. The Australians eventually chose the Churchill, which was found very efficient for jungle warfare. However, only 46 of the 510 ordered ever reached the ANZACS, as the order was cancelled at the end of the war. So, you can put a Churchill in the Pacific theatre for a brief time i unfortunately fuck yeah. unfortunately i couldn't find any photos of one of the 46 so that's a bit sad but oh well there is some post-war if you go to the next slide please in the last slide Well, not the last slide yet. So, post-war. As you can see, this is images of of Korea. The last engagement of the Churchill came in Korea. By 1950, a crocodile squadron took part in the Third Battle of Seoul. Later on, four Churchills decisively supported the defense led by the 1st Battalion, Royal Northumberland Fusiliers, helping to maintain the Allied position there. The regular Churchill was retired from service in 1952, while special versions like the bridge layer were still on active duty in 1970. Many survived, or on display in various museums and collections, some in running condition. All right on. Now, so that is the active career of the Churchill. Now we do have some models. We have the excellent thirty fifth scale Churchill Mark Seven from Tamiya. They also do the Churchill Mark Seven Crocodile in forty eighth. Dennis, mm. we know you, we know you love your forty eighth. Now,
1: mm. so I may have to do this.
2: I think you have to AFV Club do the three inch uh gun carriage i think i actually saw that on trade me going for a stupid price dragon of course have their 72nd series they have the na75 the Avery airfix have their weird 76 scale mark 7 dragon also do the mark 3 with a wading unit and afe club have the bridge layer these are just some of them they're a whole ton but i don't want to get too far into the weeds on it but that is the churchill tank uh hope you guys and found this one good uh if you're not asleep right now or have your well, mind turned same,
1: that was but, really good
2: yeah so that is the churchill please build as many churchills as you can they are an, a totally underappreciated and underrated tank when actually they were you know the british tiger Those yeah that's cool.
0: I've, I've got the Tamiya one like bare bones built up is with that the hatches open the mark seven yeah, yeah, the Mark VII, the thirty fifth scale one. Yeah, I've got that one built up in primed black. I just haven't gotten around to actually. Did you, doing it. That might be. A...
2: Did you do cast texturing on the turret?
0: I did not, but it's only primed, so I can. I'm gonna go back and do that. You
2: should. I, I, that's what I did with mine. You definitely should. Yeah. Oh, that I would...
0: definitely will. I just yeah. I just built it. What was it? Over a year ago. I Built it over a year ago. Oh and, yeah, and uh, just sprayed it black. So. Okay. Question: Fenders on or off?
2: Fuck. I th- I think they're on. Yeah, I did mine on. I was kind of like, oh, do I do on off? They both look cool. Uh, I went with on just because I wanted something extra to paint. But I kind of sit there, right. kind of sit there sometimes, going, oh, I should have gone off.
0: I don't know. It's yeah, like- I I'll go back to mine. I don't know, like you, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to leave them on or off. I I want to get some reference pictures from late war Mark sevens and yeah. uh, do like a like a springtime you know the 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 brits are talking to the german local germans and whatnot so yeah yeah i got some brilliant kits
2: yeah it was, it's definitely a very good kit i gotta say it's that it was a it was very nice to put together i know i enjoyed it
0: oh it was it was a sweet i mean hell it took me like fuck um uh, like an hour yeah to get put together what yeah, i did yeah. it was like hardly anything to it but there's good enough detail
2: and I'll, I'll say this, one of the few times where rubber band tracks aren't bad, just because of the way that the tracks go together, you don't even notice that they're uh, rubber band. Because there's no, there's, you know, full, full tension on them. There's no sag or anything. And most of it's hidden by the catwalk. So, you know, it's one of the few times I didn't mind rubber band. that That is true. What are you going to, what scheme are you going to paint yours? I went with the classic British uh, black and dark green stripe. I'll
0: be honest, man. I'm not sure. Uh, originally, because I, I was doing some research and it wasn't during market garden, but after market garden, they had used some kind of Churchill. So I was going to do, you know, a market garden plus 12 build, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just do a late war since it's a seven. Um, uh, but I don't know, you know, we'll see what kind of camo schemes they've got.
2: Yeah. Cause I, w- I wouldn't mind getting like a Mark three because they had this in North Africa. They had these great tiger stripe camos that will, uh, like you know um sand and light blue color they look really cool
0: oh yes yeah
2: kind of like the uh the tiger dunkelgelb and
0: uh field blue yeah yeah That shit's that's its own kind of sexy I, i'd love to see that yeah
2: yeah definitely okay shall we have an intermission
1: i think we shall yes
2: flip her over and we shall do some and
1: we are kicking it off so uh, you guys <laughs> are aware of how on a few years ago, was it now? They did the uh, Krupp uh, Yag Tiger. Yes. yes. On the 35th scale. And that was part of their Blitz line. And the whole idea of Blitz, for those of you who aren't aware, is basically they take the model and while trying not to compromise the detail, they try to s- simplify the process of making it as much as possible. So the the uh, Krupp production Yag Tiger model that they made it had Lincoln length, length tracks, a lot of parts were simplified on it. Well, now they're giving the uh, same treatment to the Porsche production. Yeah, Tiger. I mean, basically, as Colin was showing me, uh, the main difference between the Krupp and the Porsche production is in the suspension. It's in the running gear. So whereas the Krupp had the big steel wheels that we all associate with uh, vehicles like the Tiger, the uh, Porsche production tank had these has these smaller steel wheels, as you can see here. If I grab the laser pointer. This kit, it comes with photo wedge molded on Zimmerit, and a metal barrel, as well as workable suspension and tracks. So that's coming out from Tacom. I'm going to say probably it's going to be sometime in the spring, I'd imagine.
2: One day I'm going to have a Yag Tiger.
1: Oh, I love it. a Yag Tiger. Woo!
2: what's this?
1: So Midiart, does it come with a gun? It does. Yes. So Mini has this uh, captured German artillery T-60, with T-60 being a Russian light tank. Towing a Pack Forty, that is fucking dope. This looks pretty cool. I'm not gonna
2: lie. Ooh, Operation Barbarossa. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Ooh. Uh, so we got a Kiwi Spit from a Kiwi company. This is a uh, Katari, releasing their Admit. Spitfire Mark One A mid production, and the decals for this are for a, a New Zealand squadron. It's a New Zealand Spitfire. You can see just under the cockpit there. There is a Kiwi emblem on the uh, underneath it. So yeah, this is a, in thirty second scale. Qatari, as we know, uh, all former Wingnut Wings guys. So you know that they're gonna. It's going to be one hell of a good kit. It's going to be expensive, but it's going to be one hell of a kit to put together. Enough. For, uh, if I could get my grubby little hands on one, I will do so with such haste. And I will definitely do it in the scheme shown by. A, on the box art you got the uh, classic early war black and white underneath um, the roundels on the wings are weird i've never seen them right out at the tips like that before never seen that before but
0: yeah there's a first for everything yeah
2: but qatari spitfire uh this is their big release can't see can't wait to see what their uh next release is knowing them it's gonna be good oh yeah Oof, yes
1: So TACOM carry on with the theme of uh, updating previous kits. They are now releasing their MQ-8B fire Scout, which is a U.S. Navy uh, unmanned aerial vehicle with uh, now a blade folding kit and some missiles. And the cool thing with this kit is that you actually, it's in one to 35 and you get two helicopters, I believe.
2: Oh, so you can make both of them? I
1: believe so,
2: yes. Ooh. But like, is it like you can make two full kits, or is it like you can make either or?
1: Well, the previous one that they made, I'm pretty sure it was two full kits. If I'm not mistaken.
2: Ooh, It just makes things quiver.
1: I, I yeah, think... that's pretty. Uh, that's actually a really sweet deal. Yeah, yeah how don't much quote does? me on this. No, we're quoting your ass. Fair enough. <laughs> Speaking of quoting my ass, uh, Attack on is also coming out with their M103A1 and A2. Uh, these kits are going to feature metal barrels, workable tracks. Uh the whole the whole Tacom treatment and they are kinda be coming out sometime in the spring.
2: Ooh. I Cannot can't wait. wait. I love Tacom releases. They they just do such good stuff. Seven parts.
1: Individual link tracks, guys. Yeah. I'm gonna have to ho- bit, hit Jeff up for this. <laughs> yeah,
2: you would have to hit up Jeff on that one. <laughs> I ain't putting seven parts per link. Yeah, no. No, nah, you got me fucked up.
1: And Amusing uh, Hobby is coming up with this beautiful, beautiful machine. Uh, sometime in the spring, they're going to be coming out with their Kf51 Panther in 1 to 35 scale. This is that's a f- new one, isn't it? This is the new one. It's going to feature yeah. working workable tracks, uh, leopard suspension, all that. It's going to have clear parts, photo wedge, and pretty interestingly, it's also going to have the Hero 120 loitering munition as a separate little mini kit.
0: Oh no, kidding! Yeah,
1: so this is going to be pretty neat. I want to make cool. one of these, but in Canadian colors, covered in stowage and camo like trees and whatnot. Yeah. Hell
2: yes. I cannot imagine trying to do that digital pattern. Well, that's
1: like... why I'm, I'm doing Canadian ones. <laughs> <laughs> well.
2: Look at that.
1: Italeri is, I believe this is a rebox with new decals. They're coming out with their 172 scale AC-119K. Um, this is the uh, Stinger. Many people know about the, the uh, Spooky. Well, I was about this, to say Spooky. Uh,
2: Spooky and Spooky. the Spectre. Is the yep. AC-130. This is the Oops. one in between. So that so this one is um this one's only armed with two 762 miniguns and two 20mm gatling can- cannons. But that's still a lot of firepower. Oh uh, yeah. And it's such a l- weird looking air- you know this is my sort of thing. It's macabre and unique. I want one. So bad. I don't care if it's a Tallery. And then lastly, oh, a Tallery uh, releasing yes. a CR-32 Frecker. This is a biplane that, oh, I love this biplane. It looks so cool. It's one of the best-looking biplanes in the world, in my opinion. And at the time it came out, it was one of the best biplane fighters during the Spanish Civil War. Quickly it was outpaced, but, you know, they was these are still operated until 1943, would you believe? um holy shit yeah the uh machine guns in the nose are actually um 12.7 millimeter not um 7.62s would you believe so it's got twin, 50, twin 50s in the nose yeah holy shit but yeah so they're really so i think this is also another rebox with decals i don't know but a CR32 I would love to have in my stash. You have no idea how much I want one. I love them. Uh absolutely. So there so a pretty quick hobby news. Uh Garrison, would you like to announce our sponsor?
0: Yes. So, uh, officially uh we are announcing Scale Colors as our sponsor once again. This is a impromptu ad we're in the process of making an official one that will be displayed on all of our videos and uh episodes. But Jeff from Scale Color sponsoring the Micro Machines podcast with uh gifts for uh giveaway or not giveaways, but uh group build winners and some other stuff here near in the future that we'll be able to uh let you guys know about. So check out Scale Colors
1: and Jeff's awesome work. Yes, ScaleColors.com. dot com. Yeah and there you can also find the Scale Colors three D collection as well.
2: Yeah. He does yes. some very good three D scale tracks and all of that. So Yeah, definitely check him out.
0: All right, so this is what I've been working on tonight during the podcast episode. I've been working on the medical Jeep for my uh, M26 Pershing Fireball diorama. This is a medical conversion Jeep uh, making out of polystyrene. Uh, That's what I use for the frames as well as some metal wiring. There will be a flag, a medical flag, connected from the metal wire cutter on the front of the Jeep to that little metal pin. Just above the windshield, there'll be a little flag and a rope suspended there to keep it nice and taunt. Um, but yeah, suggestions from the podcast members and uh, Discord members to lower the frame. So that's what I did, and I think it looks a lot better and a lot more believable now.
2: Yeah, it's looking good. It's looking really good.
0: All right. Uh, one of, I think, three or four picture or slides of my M26 Pershing Fireball. Uh, this is the completed... Um, Model itself, this is the Tamiya one to thirty fifth scale m twenty six pershing I said displayed as fireball the morning after it was knocked out, so it'll have the uh crew members pulling out uh other crew members who were killed in action, which uh was the gunner and the loader, so uh, I've got the two resin figures there who are not painted yet, kind of showing you guys what it'll look like.
2: pretty good recreation of fireball you've done there it's looking really good,
0: yeah, very nice. Thank you, gentlemen. Here's some more pictures showing different angles, different details, like the blood splatter that Don helped me uh, get the color mostly right. <laughs> Should have been a little darker, but that's okay. Uh, but just some of the details that are in the photos, uh, all that fun stuff. Next slide is fine. This is the main building. I'm calling this building one for my diorama. This was before it was primed in German gray, uh, showing all the scratch-built parts, like the polystyrene power cables with the wooden, uh, somebody called those dildos, which was kind of funny, the foam bricks, the, the wooden works, and all the fun stuff there.
2: Very nice. Very cool.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Next is uh, on that top row, you can see uh, pictures showing the top pictures are references. The bottom pictures are what I recreated on Fireball uh, using those reference pictures, trying to showcase that battle damage to the uh, the uh, turret coax machine gun port that got hit, the muzzle brake that got hit, as well as the glance of that 88 millimeter round off the turret. And then a side by side photo of the fireballs left hand side and then below that uh bottom left got a star wars mod for arma it's been really fun thank you dennis for helping me fix arma it's no been problem. a blast uh in the middle bottom those are the two tank crewmen i am i got tonight's from the mail those are going on the t55 i'm doing with scale colors tracks and paint that'll be uh Part of uh sponsorship there. And then I just purchased the Rock Hopper 29, thanks to Dennis with all of his expertise on bikes. No problem.
1: Hey, best of luck with that. Thank you.
2: <clears throat> hey, look, Dennis <laughs> built something.
1: Dennis, Dennis. Uh, so we have these beautifully laid out slides from Garrison. You get the schizophrenia slide. <laughs> uh, at the moment i'm currently in the decaling stage of my 1 to 72 scale uh x-47b and the x-47b was an experimental stealth drone for the u.s navy that could li- take off and land from an aircraft carrier i have completely thrown the rule book out with this build and i've made it into a japanese marine self-defense Force search and rescue drone which is why it's painted orange so yeah i'm just kind of Going through the motions of this one, I'm going to have it covered in stencils and decals.
0: Fucking hell yeah!
1: Looking beautiful,
0: dude. I love that yellow and that that uh, that sky gray contrast. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it's looking pretty good. Ooh. Uh so this is my monogram seventy second scale Dornier Do seventeen Z uh, done in the I think it's early Condor Legion. So this is early war uh, battle um battle of britain style yeah so this was interesting to build honestly not too bad of a kit to put together um however painting it was a pain in the ass uh especially the glazing uh all of that i've had to do by hand with a very thin brush i could i didn't mask any of it it was just all hand painted
0: i kind of no i don't kind of i feel bad for you but (laughs) you did a hell of a job on this thing dude Mm. I didn't even like that looks beautiful. It's
2: not even weathered this. I didn't even pin wash it or anything.
0: You, you honestly don't need to it. It mm. describing you did. It's deep enough that the panel lines just kind of
2: pop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually, yeah, it's not a bad kit to put together. If you want, if you don't want to put too much thought into it, I even put strung the aerial lines, but for 72nd scale, they're so thin that you have to like, if someone wants to touch one of the models, that has got this line on it. I have to tell them, it's like, you got to, pick it up with this, these two wings or something like that. Just avoid this area that's got this ultra-thin, fragile wire on it that you can barely see. Um, <laughs> you can kind of see it in the close-up photo on the bottom right. You can kind of see it leading up from the mast at the top. That little mast, actually, I had to scratch build because the one on the sprue just disappeared. don't know where it went, so that's just a bit of... Um, oh, what was it? Green... Evergreen. Yeah, so... But yeah, so that one's a uh, that one's going to be turned into a YouTube video at some point when I'm not lazy and I do the final, and no, I do the file final you know photos, make it look good, all of that shit. So, but yeah, but I'm just glad to have a Dornier. I love them.
1: That's looking fantastic, Cal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Where are you gonna where are you gonna put it? Uh, currently, it is sitting between my Jag Panther and B twenty six Marauder. No. Right on. No, it's actually next, no, it's next to the B26 and the feasless Storch. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then this was something I did on a Monday night after work, because I was a bit bored. I was listening to a podcast. So my Type 1 honey self propelled gun that I did for the artillery group build, I didn't get around to doing the figures. Well, I figured, well, I wanted to get a bit more practice with painting them, specifically base colors. Um detailing is easy base colors are difficult for me so i grabbed the two figures that were just lying around for the uh for this self-propelled gun and i just went through and just painted them to add into the tank and it gives it a more dynamic feel to it really so yeah that's just uh that's what i got up to
0: bloody good uh bloody good week there eh yeah that's fantastic
2: yeah yeah well i figured i'd chuck a few empty shells on it have a have one ready to go Sort of, yeah, because there's a, as you can see, one downside to the Honey with the way that they made it, there is no room in there for anything. Like, those two figures take up the majority. So, I figured, you know, chances are you'd have a couple rounds sitting outside where you can reach them, you know? That's what I do, honestly, especially if you're just stationary, just waiting.
0: Have right. it kind of like a ready rack where you can just slide it over.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, that's that's what I was going for, but yeah basically yeah hell yeah dude that's work in progress um as usual every week Paul gallagher we're going to shout him out if you want to join this list you're more than welcome to just join our patreon we have uploaded a whole bunch of new content there's about six new videos on there all of (laughs) outtakes bloopers the stuff we're not allowed to put on youtube Um,
1: there's gonna be a lot from this episode
2: yeah yeah but you know so, (laughs) so just think how bad we get during an episode the stuff on Patreon is worse um, by a long shot. I mean, yeah, it's pretty good though. I honestly was pissing myself laughing as I was making the videos. So, yeah, they a whole bunch of new stuff is on Patreon. Uh, Paul Gallagher's feeling a bit lonely there. Why don't you join him? You know, lonely for as little gone. as you know, three bucks a month. That's you know, not much. So give him some, give us some support. Give him some company. Get some exclusive content. Make yourself feel nice. Whatever you want to do, come and support us on Patreon. You'll be a good legend. You'll be up on this list. You'll get a special thank you. Thank you.
0: And you'll also be helping support the podcast group builds. by That way we can purchase uh, prizes for each group build. Yeah. Because right now it's coming out of our pockets for each kit we buy, which gets expensive fast.
2: I mean, it's out of the good of our hearts. I mean, we want to run them. But, of course, um, yeah. I'll buy buy, it, but Patreon, <laughs> However, will, Patreon will just help us out with it. I mean, you never know, you'll get even bigger and better prizes to um, strive for, so you never know. But yeah, 100%. just give us some, give us a bit of support, you know. We're coming up to uh, actually our next episode will be our one-year anniversary. Oh, no kidding. You know, it's going to be a pretty special episode, so we've got some plans in motion for that one. Uh, what's so our last slide, uh, Garrison, this is your little baby. Yes, sir, it is.
0: All right. So this is our current main group build going on. It's the Cold War group build started February 1st. This group build ends June 1st. Uh, you have to have your stuff in. Well, actually, if you want to know that information, go join our Discord link down in the description below if you're on YouTube. I don't know if can we throw that on Spotify.
2: Yep. Yep. You can access it on All Spotify right. and everything.
0: All right. So, join the Discord on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this. Join the Discord. There is a whole section dedicated to the current group building progress. Uh, we've got rules, information, places to put uh, your submission sprues. If you're doing it for a contest for recreational, uh, be sure to read all the rules. Make sure you understand anything. If you have any questions? Let us know. Looking forward to seeing your builds.
2: And what could they win if they enter in the oh. competition?
0: <laughs> well not only my friends do you win a if you win first place right you get the a 135th scale tacom okay tacom t55 okay since it's cold war we're going to kind of gear it towards that um, but that'll also include since we were sponsored it'll include some tracks and uh, paint color of your choice from uh jeff at scale colors and then uh, let's see here. The second place is getting the Tamiya one to thirty fifth scale U.S. Infantry Scout set that came out last year, and then third place is your choice of fifty resin printed spent rounds, so that could be anywhere from a hundred millimeter, twenty five millimeter, or seven sixty two, and four custom resin printed Canadian infantrymen in either one to seventy two, one to forty eight, or one to thirty fifth scale.
2: That sounds like one hell of a prize.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh, if you want to enter into that, it's, uh, like I said, we have two different types of submissions. We have the competition submission and the recreational submission. So make sure you read those rules and ask any questions.
2: All righty. All righty. Well, that was a good episode. What hell it was. Absolutely. You know, we got to listen to Garrison dying of laughter and then being blackmailed with his own photos. Um
0: bro my gut i'm not kidding you my stomach was hurting for a good five minutes
2: five to ten minutes after that that was fucking hilarious that was funny me and dennis are just sitting there going what the fuck is he doing (laughs) that was freaking great Uh, but yeah so next week well next time we record one year anniversary
1: one year of Machines. my god
2: one year oh, of yeah, one was. year of pain for everyone listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh well then, I guess on that note, you have been watching and listening to the Micro Machines podcast. Thank you so much for sticking with us and we will return to you for our one year anniversary. righty, Bye
2: everyone. See you later. <laughs> see ya.